Hey everyone, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress podcast or welcome for the first time if you're new. You are tuning into our second episode of our spiritual warfare series. So if you haven't gotten to listen to part one that we posted last week, make sure that you listen to that before jumping into this one. But today is going to be all about spiritual beings. So we're going to talk about angels, demons, we're going to talk about the devil, we're going to talk about the different characteristics of all these spiritual beings, what we know about them, what we can know for sure, because there is a lot of speculation about spiritual beings and things that we've kind of added on. But we're going to stick to what we can know for sure, what we know from the Bible and what scripture tells us about these beings. And just as a reminder, we've talked about the Hebrew word Elohim. We talked about that referring to spiritual beings. And before we get started into anything, just a reminder that God is the Elohim of all Elohim because he's all powerful. He's supreme. He's above all. And he's created every other being that exists. So even as we talk about other spiritual beings, just to keep in mind again that he's above all, we have nothing to be afraid of and and nothing to fear. But before we jump into all the information that we have packed in for this episode, Liv, what was your what the best part of your week? Yeah, so the best part of my week was definitely the fact that there was a long weekend, just in yes. general, I think. Um, I also actually took Friday off. Um, we started doing this thing with our young adult group at our church where we have Friday morning prayer. And it's like before work, before, you know, classes for anyone who's in college, like that kind of thing. Um, so I usually wake up early, but it was like just a different experience from what I usually do when I wake up early. Like it was very quiet and like in a dark room with candles and stuff. So I was like so sleepy after that, that I literally ended up taking the rest of the day off because I was like, I am falling asleep. So, um, it, yeah, it was just like, really nice to have four days straight to just kind of relax. And it was really busy. Like we did do some, like a lot of things, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but, um, and a lot of that was just like hanging out with friends. We had a game night. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And then Monday was really nice because I just didn't have that much to do at all. I had something to do in the morning and then I had like basically nothing to do for the rest of the day. And actually, weirdly enough, even though I did a ton of really fun stuff, that was probably my favorite part of my week. Yeah. Just because I think I really needed a day to just like do whatever I wanted to do, like just relax and, you know, just like go for a walk and like just kind of like lay on the couch for a while and read a book and stuff. So um, yeah, best part of my week was just kind of relaxing and having some nice time with friends and family. So yeah, sometimes the best time is not really doing anything. It's just being at home and actually getting to relax. Yeah. And honestly, I rarely feel like those are the best times. But I think when you really need them and then you get them, they like it's just so refreshing. So for sure. Yeah. Yes. And for anyone who listening, especially if you're listening later to this episode, this past weekend was MLK weekend. So we got that yeah. long weekend. Uh, our workplace closed for MLK Monday. I know some places don't, but I think most, I think it's a federal holiday still. So most companies do close down for that. So it was really nice to have that long weekend. Sunday night was probably the best part of my week. It was playoffs for the NFL. Oh yeah, (laughs) that's true. It was. The Ravens got knocked out of the playoffs, but we kind of put up a better fight with the Bengals than we expected. And it was an interesting 
game to watch because I typically don't really pay attention to football games. I'm always yeah. there with my husband and his family hanging out and it's a social event type thing, but I don't really watch the game or pay attention to it. And I really did this time and I'm like, football is actually kind of interesting. And there's been it so is. many times where I've thought it's extremely boring, but when there's really high stakes and everyone's super invested in how yeah. it turns out, especially with playoffs, it was it was a really fun game. They were tied at the end of the third quarter, but in the fourth quarter, like they always do, Ravens gave it up. So it was still <laughs> really fun. We had friends and family. It's just a fun evening. We all hung out. Yeah, I I will say like I also haven't really been invested in football before, but like this season and last season, I was actually like kind of wanted to watch games yeah. and like I actually like, wanted to root for my team and stuff like. Um, I've told Allison this before, but um, my family is all from Wisconsin. And so if I was not a Packers fan, I would literally be disowned. I might have even said that yeah. on the podcast because it's so prominent in my life. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I kind of watched it this this season until the Packers were out. And yeah. then I was like, because they almost got they got to the playoffs and then they were and then they lost. So Aww. I was like, you guys, you were yeah. so close. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. But with that said, we're going to jump into what we have planned for you today. And like I mentioned, we're going to be going over spiritual beings today. So we're going to start with angels, and then we're going to talk about demons, and then we're going to talk about the devil. And we're starting with angels because I think this really helps us understand demons and Satan a lot better when we understand what is the ideal of this being, and then what are the fallen versions of this being. So first of all, we know that angels there are interactions between humans and angels throughout the Bible. This is how we know about angels because they're in the Bible, but also humans have interacted with them before. So that doesn't necessarily mean, well, it doesn't mean at all that we should go seeking them or we should seek to interact with them because there's just simply no biblical precedent to show us that we should be seeking anyone except God himself. But we also know that angels and humans do interact sometimes when God is planning to use them for something really important. We see that noted in Hebrews 1.14, which says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So those ministering spirits are referring to angels, and those who are to inherit salvation is referring to humans. So showing that interaction between angels and humans. Further on in Hebrews 13, verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So we know that there are still, from Hebrews, we know there are still angels that are out in our world and are interacting and doing things on behalf of God. So they've been sent by God to do certain tasks. We don't always understand them or know them. Most of the time we won't know them. And this verse is particularly saying a lot of times you won't know. So you may be unaware that you, maybe you have interacted with an angel in the past. So while we consider the interaction between angels and humans, are there any kind of like famous examples that we can look at for those interactions that we see in the Bible? Yeah, for sure. I think We've all definitely heard of different um, scenarios in the Bible where like angels are mentioned or angels appear to different people. So I think some of the most prominent are definitely like Mary um, <clears throat> being visited by the angel who told her that she would have Jesus, basically, that she would give birth to a son. Um, so I'm just going to read that passage just so that we kind of have some context for angels appearing to humans. Um, so this is in Luke 1, 
starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Um, so basically, he comes to her, tells her this prophecy, and then, you know, once she basically says, like, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be done to me, he departs. Um, and then there are other parts of scripture where we see angels appearing in a little bit of different ways, because in that way, the angel just appeared to her, whereas there are other parts of scripture where angels appear in visions to people or dreams. Um, for example, in Matthew 1, 18, and this is talking about Joseph, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, uh, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived to her is from the Holy Spirit. Um, and there are other parts of scripture as well that talk about um, angels appearing in either dreams or visions like Ezekiel 1, um, Ezekiel 10, and also just the entire book of Revelation is actually a vision given. Um, and we also see that angels still appear today, according to Paul, um, like the verse that Allison just read a second ago, Hebrews 13, 2 talks about, um, you know, basically being kind to all people because you might be in the presence of an angel. Um, so that kind of tells us that angels also appear today. Yeah, it's important to kind of note that angels and their work that God sends them to do is not has not ceased because I think there are a lot of things from biblical times that we can understand have ceased and no well depending on your theology or depending on where you stand the spiritual gifts some people believe the spiritual gifts are not some of the spiritual gifts are not present like prophecy and things like that so there are some things that have ceased and angels interactions with humans is not one of those things and we understand that still even under the new covenant those are things that still happen we also wanted to dive in a little bit to the characteristics of angels, what we know about them, even though it's not a ton of information, we did kind of want to point out what we do know about angels. So the first thing that I noticed when I started studying this is that angels, just like human beings, are persons. They have names, even though only two of them are mentioned by name in the Bible. We know that they have names and God named them. So they're described as individuals in the Bible. They are beings that were created by God just like we were, but never does the Bible ascribe them as being made in the image of God, Imago Dei. So the image of God is unique to humans, and that we see that in Genesis. We also know that angels have some kind of knowledge or have, you could even use the word intelligent. They can make decisions. So we can even see that some of them decided to reject God. We'll talk about that future when we get to talking about demons, but 2 Peter 2, 4 tells us this. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. And this goes on and on. It's a very long sentence. I'm not going to read that whole sentence. But this phrase indicates to us that angels 
are capable of sin, they can choose to reject God. So they can make decisions. They're capable of doing so. We know that the angels also know things that we do not know and cannot understand. But inversely, and at the same time, we know things as humans and understand things as humans that angels cannot and do not. First Peter 1.12 tells us this. It says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there are things about our spirituality and our relationship with God that angels cannot understand because they are different beings as us and they are not made in his image. We also know that there are lots of angels. We don't have an exact number or count, but we know there are a lot because God commands armies of angels. When Jesus was being arrested, which is recounted in I think all three Gospels, but specifically in Matthew 26, when Jesus is being arrested, Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But then how should these scriptures be fulfilled? Then it must be so. So Jesus is saying here, even at that moment that he was being arrested to go be crucified, he could have at at his command, he could have armies of angels to save him. So we know that there are many, many angels and they're capable of doing that, but Jesus chose not to do so so that he could fulfill the prophecies and that he could save us through his crucifixion and resurrection. However, there are a lot of things that we cannot know about angels. We don't know when God made them. We don't know exactly what they're capable of and what abilities that they have or that God has given them. There are many more specific details. We don't know all their names, of course. That There's just things that we cannot know about them, nor should we be searching for those answers. We know that when we go searching for spiritual beings, we often encounter the bad ones, demons, the ones that seek to harm us. When we see angels interacting with humans in the Bible, we see that it is sanctioned by God, that interaction is sent by God for a specific purpose and for a reason. So we see that especially in the iconic scene that you mentioned, Liv, when Gabriel is visiting Mary. So we knew God was about to do something incredible, something he never replicated again. But again, we see that when interactions are happening between angels and humans, it's something that God initiated, not humans. So like I mentioned, I think we both were saying this in our first episode of Spiritual Warfare, not to go seeking interactions with spiritual beings because that's how we open ourselves up to dangerous things. Uh, but those are just some things that we can know about angels that are specifically told to us in the Bible. Beyond that, there are some smaller, finer details that we will talk about further. Like, for example, what do angels look like? So if you wanted to kind of walk us through that, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, before I do that, I do just want to say as well, like, um, I think it is very important. The last thing that Allison just said, like, to just be careful not to go looking for those things. Um, Because I think sometimes we think that we have some type of substance of control in those situations, like, oh, I'm only seeking out the good ones. And it's like, you don't get to choose though. (laughs) Yeah, you don't get to choose which ones respond to you. You don't get to choose like what comes your way when you open yourself up to those things. So um, yeah, just something important to note there for sure, that this is definitely something to take very seriously. Um, As far as what angels look like, we, it's not like we have a picture of them. We're not like, we don't have a photograph (laughs) that we're going to post on our Instagram or something. But um, according to scripture, um, we do just see a couple different forms that angels have taken. Angels can take on human form, for example, Um, like we heard in, you know, talking about Hebrews, one, uh, it talks about, you know, entertaining people who might be angels. That means they would de- like definitely look like a person. Um, and then 
the way that Gabriel appeared to Mary was, you know, in the form of a man. Like, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of hearsay. Like, I'm assuming he probably didn't look like a man, just any other man. (laughs) But like, um, you know, came in the form of a man. It wasn't like he was this other creature. Um, And also the way that Gabriel appeared to Daniel. um, And I'm actually going to read that because it's very like explicit the way that it talks about um, the angel Gabriel looking like a man. So in Daniel 8, And starting in verse 15, it says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So basically, this verse says pretty point blank that Daniel saw a man in this vision, but that man, quote unquote, was Gabriel um, and that he was, you know, an angel. So um, this definitely shows us that angels appear, you know, to take on human form um, in a couple different verses of scripture. However, they also do appear in other ways, um, like in Ezekiel 1, 5 through 9, it says, and from the midst of it, came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze under their wings on their four sides. They had human hands and the four had their faces and their wings. Thus their wings touched one another. So (laughs) I'm just going to say, I can't even picture what that's talking about i would have to like go through each part of it and like try to imagine it (laughs) um but basically like in this description obviously they don't look exactly like humans do um you know so it's like there are different descriptions that we have um in scripture even though of course we're never going to know exactly what they look like here on earth you know but um those are just some descriptions that scripture does give us i was also looking at ezekiel 10 because I remembered that there are verses, I think it's also somewhere in Revelation, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that angels are described with having many eyes as well as having mm-hmm. four faces. So in Ezekiel 10, where it's talking about cherubim specifically, and we'll talk about types of angels as well. But it says in verse 12, their whole body, their rims and their spokes, their wings and the wheels were full of eyes all around the wheels that the four of them had. So just keeping in mind to get that like... <laughs> Yes, it can appear to look as a man, and I don't, I wouldn't say I necessarily know exactly why, but I would assume that the reason for that is so that they would, people that angels have appeared to wouldn't be completely freaked out that God knew how terrifying it would be to see some kind of being like that, that you'd probably think it's some kind of dangerous monster. At least I would. If I saw something that looked kind of like a person, but had four faces and wings and calves feet, I would be terrified. (laughs) And if it was sparkling, I would be like, what is this? And that's, that's terrifying. But we also know too, that there's some distinction, even when they do appear to humans there's something about them that you can tell they're not human because i was thinking even when the angels the host of angels which further supports the fact that there are many angels when the host of angels appear to the shepherds to announce jesus is coming and mm-hmm. they were terrified so there is some kind of distinction that when humans have seen angels 
they can kind of tell this is not a normal person in front of me right now. And I think there is that belief of I'm going to believe that God sent you because there's something ethereal about you. There's something so otherworldly about you that I can tell you're not like me in some way. Well, yeah, like they they usually um, fall on their face or yeah. they're like confused or, you know, because scared. <laughs> we see, yeah, we see in scripture a lot of times that the angel usually says to the person, don't be afraid. Um, right. Yeah. Normally but, it's like the first thing they say. Right. Um, and also speaking of revelation, like what you were talking about, I wanted to just read the, the description that you were referring yes. to as well, just for another way that we can, we can see what, how scripture describes um, these beings, but in revelation four, um, it says also before the throne, there was what looks like a sea of glass clear as crystal in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was, was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So that, you know, that description honestly does back up what Ezekiel says, you know, um, in chapter 10. Um, So we can see like both places talk about them looking very similar. Um, So... Yeah, definitely an interesting, an interesting description for sure. But this is, of course, just conjecture, but it kind of makes me think like maybe they appear to humans as men because that's a lot less intimidating. Like they're already intimidating being <clears throat> angels, but like it's a lot less intimidating than this. Um, like, you know, if they were to appear like this, like you just run screaming <laughs> instead of like you know, um, actually hearing them out. So, um, yeah, that's of course just a thought that's not like fact by any means, but, um, yeah, Yeah. it's just interesting. Yeah. Although we do know that it's within God's character to reach us in ways that we will understand better. Yeah. So even though we couldn't point to a specific verse that says the reason that angels appear to men in a certain way is because we can look at the character of God. We can look at our relationship with him and understand that, God does some things sometimes to help us understand them better in such a way that isn't the full overwhelming spiritual reality. It's kind of like the way that God saves us. Like slowly he opened the Holy Spirit makes our heart more open to the gospel. Like just the fact that now I'm not going to say that like God alters his behavior to reach us, but that he reaches us in ways that we will understand better, which I would assume is part of the reason why angels have appeared in human likeness to humans yeah that it's a little bit more understandable and digestible even though it's still very hard to understand and you can see that the biblical authors wrestle a lot with that when they have talked about angels because as much as angels are a mystery to us today they were back then too and it's always been something very confusing yeah angels have always been that and i think another thing that's kind of confusing is what exactly angels are for what do they do like why did god create them and while i don't think we can know exactly the why i think that we can look at the activities that we see angels doing throughout the bible that give us a lot of clues as to the purpose that they serve especially because they're not made in god's image that it we kind of have to 
look at those activities that do. One of the main things we see angels do in the Bible is serve as messengers. So leeways of interaction between God and between humans that will help that that God has them assist in getting his message across to his people. So we see that with Mary. We saw that in Joseph's vision. We saw that with Daniel. We see that in the revelation of John. We see angels appearing as messengers sent on behalf of God to share something. And often, again, when we're seeing an angel appear in the Bible, we know God's about to do something spectacular. He's about to reveal something crazy about himself. And an angel is the way that he has chosen in that moment to do that. Like the angel appearing to Mary. That's probably one of the most iconic, famous appearances of an angel to a human. But we see that God is using them as messengers. So that is one thing that angels do. Another thing we know about angels is that they are capable of protecting and guarding. So first of all, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, we know that cherubim were sent to, I think it was two, two cherubim were sent to guard the entrance. I can check on that. But we know that they're capable of guarding in some way. They're capable of protection. We also know that Psalm 91 11 says, for he will guard his he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And we see that scripture again reiterated when the devil tempts Jesus. We talked about the, the temptation of Jesus last episode. But in Luke 4 10, the devil pulls this verse and he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you when he is tempting Jesus to do something unsafe and dangerous by saying, God will save you. The angels of the heaven will just come and save you. You know, you can do whatever you want. So while we may not necessarily understand what it, what kind of interaction angels are capable of having with this physical world, because we can't see them most of the time. Sometimes we can, depending if that's what God has chosen to do. This can be confusing kind of when we think about how God, a spiritual being, and how angels who are spiritual beings can interact with this physical realm and this physical world that we as humans exist in. Things we can see, things we can touch, things we can hear and sense with our five senses. But we know that angels are capable of guarding and protecting, and it may be in a physical way that he is, that God may have chosen to do so. We know that God has given them this ability, and he uses it as he sees fit. And one of the final things we see uh, angels doing very frequently throughout the Bible is that they praise God. They have an understanding and an existence in God's presence that we currently do not have. So we see this in the Psalms. We see this in Isaiah and a lot in Revelations where the angels are just praising him and saying, holy, holy is he. Praise God. He's above all. He is the one who is and was and is to come. So we see this understanding that angels have of God that are causing them to just praise him and praise him, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. It kind of makes me think, you know, when we're experiencing God's presence in the same way, that's probably all we're going to even be able to do because of how amazing God is. Um, And then the next thing that we wanted to talk about as well is what kind of angels there are. Um, Because obviously we've talked about, you know, what they do, what they look like um, as is, shown by scripture. Um, but also there are different kinds of angels that are mentioned in scripture as well. Um, so the first one would be the archangels, um, and Gabriel and Michael are both listed as archangels in scripture. Michael, the archangel is described in the Bible, um, in the books of Daniel, Jude, and Revelation as a warrior angel who engages in spiritual combat. Um, and the word archangel means angel of the highest rank. Most angels in the Bible are portrayed as messengers, but Michael is uh, is described in all three books as contending, fighting, or standing against evil spirits and principalities. Um, so in that context, he's more of like a warrior, like a leader in the army of angels, if you will. Um, so we don't have a full picture 
of any angel, to be honest, <laughs> and only two are named in the Bible. Um, Gabriel is the other, of course, but scripture only gives us hints of their movements during human events. But it's safe to say that Michael, the archangel, for, is for sure like a powerful being, just as Gabriel was as well. Um, another type of angel that we see mentioned in scripture is the cherubim. Um, like Allison was saying in Genesis 3, these are the type of angels that were sent to guard the garden. Um, so in Genesis 3, 23, it says, therefore, the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden uh, to work the ground from which he had been taken, talking about Adam. So he drove out the man and stationed cherubim on the east side of the garden of Eden, along with a whirling sword sword of flame to guard the way to the tree of life. So um, these are angels that, you know, are guarding the garden at this point. And in Exodus 25, we see that cherubim are um, on the Ark of the Covenant as well, um, kind of guarding that. Um, and then we also see seraphim in the Bible that are mentioned. Um, and one of the most prominent places that they're mentioned are is in Isaiah 6, um, in a vision that Isaiah had from the Lord. Um, and it's interesting because in verse two, it says above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings with two, he mm -hmm. covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. That almost makes me think. Um, and he also goes on to say that they called to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, so it kind of makes me think that this is the same type of angel that's seen in, you know, revelation. Like maybe the different types look different ways. Um, again, just conjecture. It's just what I'm gleaning from this. Um, but just a thought that I had kind of reading that it just right. seemed really interesting. So, um, those are the three main ones that we see in scripture. There are kind of different sources that talk about like possibilities of other angels that yeah. are mentioned, but like, like subcategories and stuff. Yeah. But there's nothing like substantial <clears throat> enough that I, I felt the need to mention it. So, um, those are kind of the three that I wanted to talk about because they're very prominent in scripture. Yeah, I I also looked at that too, and I saw that when I looked up types of angels, and I think if you were to go Google types of angels now, you'd get a pretty lengthy list. Yeah, these ones I think are most important to include because we specifically see these words being used in the Bible, and I think people who study this much longer could probably glean and pull more things out of that. But one thing yeah. that I think is important to keep in mind is that with angels, we know for a fact that there are different kinds and that diff God chose to do that for whatever reason to make different kinds of angels. And some of them can serve specific purposes like cherubim that are often used for guarding. They guarded the Garden of Eden and they also guarded the Ark of the Covenant. So we're seeing these kind of similar patterns and themes play out over the biblical narrative that God is choosing to use such angels for specific purposes. And again, as all created things do, they point back to God. And I think the most important thing about angels is how much they praise God because they're indicating we've been in and exist in the presence of the Lord and we just praise him. He's holy. He's incredible. He's above all. He's different. He's, he's all. He's supreme. And that because when we think of angels and how interesting they are, again, it points us to the creator. And I think that's what this all should do. Because like we've mentioned many times, we don't want to have an unhealthy fascination with angels. I don't think we should go seeking to try to understand more about them than God provided us. I think God wanted us to know a specific amount of information. Like we've just been going over that there are different kinds. They serve different purposes. God uses them for different things. And he's given them abilities that we as humans cannot share and do not have. And that's for a reason. because. He's chosen to use them as messengers to us. But again, to that end, that angels are not created for the end of humans, for the point of humans, to serve us, to guard us, to help us. God may choose to send an angel to help us or to guard us or 
to to give a message to us, but they're not for us. They're not created to serve us. They serve God. And in the fact that they serve God, they may help us as well. God may choose to do that because I think a lot of times angels are portrayed in kind of casual conversation or in media as if they're created to help us. Like we think of guardian angels or something like that as if as if they're kind of made for us, like they're these mm-hmm. powerful, cool beings and they they help us. And they do help us, but because God, because God, that's the most important thing when we talk about spiritual warfare, especially the fact that you mentioned Michael being the archangel, he's the spiritual warrior. We know that he engages in the spiritual war that we as humans are also part of, keeping in mind that there is that war going on and that ultimately it comes down to God because God angels exist and because God they may help us sometimes and interact with us sometimes yeah like just like we were created for God so was everything exactly yeah (laughs) right so was everything else at the end of the day point blank it is all about Mm -hmm. God um, because he's worthy of that so Mm -hmm. yeah and with that foundation I think we can move forward into talking about demons because demons are fallen angels so we have that understanding of what angels are what they're for that there's different kinds and i honestly sometimes i feel like we seem to know even less about demons than angels again yeah, we i think that's for a good for reason sure. angels are already mysterious enough and confusing enough but simply put demons are fallen angels so there are these spiritual beings that have capabilities that have personalities and have some kind of intelligence that god has given to them so this is why they might have powers or abilities that we don't understand i think this can also help us understand the fact that they can possess people so there's abilities that they have what we just don't understand we can't always see them and we don't again, know how many there are, but we know from that story that you shared with us last episode about the legions of demons from Mark 5 that there are probably very many of them as well. We don't know if it's more than angels or less or anything like that, but what's important to keep in mind is that there are many of them. So angels and demons, there's many of them that exist in our world. Yeah. I mean, like Allison just said, like there is not that much that we can know about them. Cause really when we see them in scripture, it's usually because of like possession or like being cast out or like, you know, um, different things like that. Whereas demons themselves are talked about definitely less than angels are. Um, however, we do see them referred to in different ways. Like many times demonic forces are referred to as like principalities or powers or rulers. Um, For instance, the people of the New Testament believed that there were spiritual forces at work that had some degree of power over our physical world and the spiritual world, too, which is true. Um, They're fallen angels, then we know that to be true. Um, For example, the Pharisees disparaged Jesus by saying he cast out demons by the authority of the ruler of demons. Um, Jesus refers to the ruler of this world as someone who has nothing to do with him. And we know based on scripture that he's referring to Satan. Um, Paul believes that the church's struggle is against rulers and forces of darkness, uh, in the heavenly places is what he says in Ephesians. Um, so we know that like, he's probably talking about demons in that case. Um, Paul makes several lists of spiritual opponents that, uh, may either be demonic or under demonic influence. He refers to rulers, authorities, principalities, thrones, uh, dominions, powers, names, and world forces, um, and we see that in Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians. 
So they're they're definitely referred to in quite a few different ways without just point blank calling them demons. Um, a lot of times in scripture we hear demonic possession, so we know like that's a part of it. But um, sometimes they're referred to as other things like forces of darkness or principalities. Um, and with that said, we did just want to say, um, as we kind of mentioned in our last episode and mentioned a little bit earlier, demons are not something that we need to fear. Um, as believers. Um, According to Romans 8, it says that nothing can separate us um, from the love of God, and it includes principalities in that. Uh, And likewise, you know, just like the reason that we have um, no fear for them or we don't have to fear them is because um, scripture shows that demonic forces have no authority over Jesus or those who are in Christ. Um, One of the passages that we read last time from Acts, I believe it was Acts 19, talked about like a demon knowing Jesus and knowing Paul, but not knowing other people who are not in Christ. So like, so long as we are in Christ, we have nothing to fear. For example, um, James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So like the demons believe that God is God, (laughs) you know, that he is um, all powerful and they shudder at that. Um, you know, they shudder in fear from the name of Jesus. And Mark 3, 7 through 12 says, Jesus asked his disciples to have a boat ready for him so that the crowd would not crush him. For he had healed so many that all who had diseases were pressing forward to touch him. And when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he warned them sternly not to make him known. So even demonic forces know that Jesus is the son of God. They know who Jesus is. They know who God is. Um, and they fall before him. You know, they shudder at his name. Um, and he has full authority over him. I think, you know, just like we talked about in the last episode, there's just so many times in scripture where we really see that, like, there is no battle there between God and demons. You know, they shudder at the sight of him. They flee at his name. They follow his authority, you know, like in this verse, for instance, it says he warned them sternly, basically saying like he had full authority over them. Um, so that's definitely something just to keep in mind. Like this isn't something that we need to fear, even as something that we don't know that well, I think we tend to fear the unknown. Like anytime we can't know something about, um, anything really, we start to, to be afraid of it. But in this case, there is nothing to fear because as much as we don't know a ton about demons themselves. We know about God and we know that he has full authority over them. Yeah. What, what fight does the creation have with the creator? Really? There's none. Right. Again, it's always important to remind ourselves that demons don't point to God anymore because they don't worship or serve him anymore. Yet their existence can remind us of who God is. The fact that he did create them and he's powerful over them. He is aware of what they're doing, which can definitely be a struggle. I mean, every Christian goes through the struggle of why does God allow evil? Why does he allow demons to possess and to destroy and to do things that ruin? But keeping in mind again that if we believe God is who he is, we know that they are also subservient to him. So anything that's happening is still under his rule and under his command. We can see that really clearly in Job when the devil is plaguing Job with various circumstances in his life and kind of destroying his life piece by piece, but nothing happens without God being aware of it and knowing that it's happening. 
So again, just keeping in mind, demons are subservient to God. They shudder at his name. They know who he is because they know they were created by him and they know the choice that they've made. They have decided not to follow God. And that, you know, what that results in is the fact that their eternal destiny will be hell. So we see that in Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared prepared for the devil and his angels. So again, just keeping in mind that hell is in fact where all creatures will go who do not, that choose not to follow God. So that includes the devil. That includes fallen angels, demons, and also humans who decide not to follow God, that there is an eternal punishment waiting for demons that wreak havoc on the world and who do the opposite of God's will. We also don't see evidence in the Bible of a plan for redemption for fallen angels. This is, again, a reminder that we as humans are made in the image of God and there is a redemption plan for us. So this appears, the gospel appears to be an opportunity that is exclusive to humans. We don't see evidence otherwise in the Bible. And, you know, again, I don't know if there's a lot of things about the spiritual beings that we don't understand that we just don't know. But what we can know for sure is that God will punish evil. We can rest in the fact that even when there are bad things happening, even when we can see evil around us, even when we can understand the fact that there may be spiritual oppression going on, that God is going to punish that and he's going to have his justice on that. And furthermore, again, to the fact that there may be capabilities that demons have that we don't understand, like they can possess people and things like that. But again, to keep in mind that God is sovereign over their abilities the same way he is over the angels who are serving him right now. So again, bringing us always back to God is the most important thing we do when we study spiritual warfare, when we study spiritual beings, to keep from having an unhealthy fear of them, but also an unhealthy attachment or obsession with learning about them, because we know that God will punish the demons just as he will punish all evil. So this brings us to part three, which is the fallen angel, the enemy that we know of. We know that there is something unique and different about this person. This is, of course, Lucifer. He was once a servant of God, and he is now a servant of darkness. We call him many different things. We call him the adversary. We call him the accuser. We call him the enemy, the devil. We call him that. The original Hebrew meaning of the word Satan that we get that word Satan from is originated in the word accuser or adversary because, like I mentioned in our first episode, Satan is not for everything, but he is against everything. He's against everything that God's created, everything that is good in this world. So we know that the devil is not omniscient because he's a created being. So he's not all-knowing like God is. He's also not all-powerful like God is, but he is very capable of outwitting us. He's capable of tricking us. He has some kind of intelligence and knowledge that makes him capable of doing so. The Bible warns us time and time again to be on our guard, to fill our minds with heavenly things so we don't fall into deceit and darkness. The Satan is capable of tempting and harming and destroying. In Philippians 4, 8, we see that Paul reminds his church family He reminds his church family, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. So these are the types of things we're supposed to be setting our mind on so that we're not afraid or we're not overly interested in spiritual realm or anything like that. Furthermore, 2 Corinthians says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. 
Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted, outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of designs. So we know he's capable of scheming, he's capable of planning, he's capable of setting things in motion that lead to destruction. And Paul is also saying in this verse and reminding his, his church family in Corinth that we do the work of Christ, we participate in kingdom building so that we would not be outwitted for Satan by Satan for this reason. So we are not susceptible to his plans so we don't fall into traps. Living the Christian life is many things, but one of those is helpful to avoiding spiritual traps. That's like one of the things that if you could consider of the spiritual walk that Christians have. Finally, we also know that he can take on different forms just like angels can and just like demons can. So we see him as a serpent in the garden. He's also described as an angel of light many times. So we don't know everything he's capable of or what he will always look like, but we know that he can masquerade, he can hide, he can take on forms. So not to speculate or try to think of all the things that Satan could do, but this is more of a warning that the Bible gives us to keep in mind that he may appear in different forms. So be in Christ, be in God, be protected so that you never have to interact with this being so that you never have to fall susceptible to his schemes. Yeah. And I think on that note, it's it's very important to understand that he's a lot more dangerous than is technically depicted in our society a lot of the times and in culture. Um, you know, he's he's not a red devil with horns and a pitchfork. Um, he's a real evil, dangerous presence who seeks to harm that which God created and those whom God loves. Um, he seeks to destroy all good things and all things that are created for um, for God and for his glory. And then he also has you know, quite a few attributes to him that we can know about him. Um, like he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a yeah. trickster behind humanity's fall as he tricked Adam and Eve in Genesis three. Um, he can take on different forms like Allison was talking about in second Corinthians 11, 14, we talk about, or we, we see that Paul says that he makes himself look like an angel of light. He makes himself look beautiful, you know, like the picture of goodness and truth um, would really, that's, that's only God. That's only God himself. Um, and I'm just going to read, read that uh, passage, those couple of verses in second Corinthians, starting in verse 12, it says, and what am I, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. This is Paul talking about false prophets for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Um, so we know that he can disguise himself as something that's like enticing, something that looks beautiful and good, even though that's truly only God. Um, so in that, you know, it's very important to like have that discernment. The scripture says to test every spirit. Um, and honestly, many things that culture and society think are good are actually the complete opposite. So yeah. that's one of the reasons that we have to like, especially be on our guard in this, in this way, because there are a lot of things that are all around us that um, culture is constantly telling us are good things when they're actually 
um, based on scripture, evil. Um, and spiritual forces animate the evil and violence that we see in our world today a lot of the times. Um, the world calls evil good and good evil without God. We are darkened in understanding. That's from Ephesians 4.18. So I think one of the things that is kind of scary about the Satan, about this enemy, is the fact that he can masquerade. Yeah. So the fact that you're talking about he can look beautiful, he can look enticing, he can look attractive, he can look good, he can look like he's truth. So the first thing that comes to my mind is that's kind of scary. Like, how am I going to know the difference? How am I going to know the difference between something that is true and good and beautiful and something that is truly given by God and something that is the enemy, mm-hmm. is this accuser, is this one who seeks to harm and hates everything about God and hates everything God created and everyone that God loves. This I swear we see this every episode, but that's why you need to know your Bible. That's why you need to study it and not just get splices of the Bible in your Sunday sermons and just from podcasters or from secondhand sources. Like Go and read the Bible for yourself and understand it. When you understand what is right and what is from God, it's so much easier to try to to be able to spot the things that are not. But when I became more spiritually mature, when I started to read the Bible for myself, that's when that understanding came to me. It's not just going to come magically to you. That's why Ephesians 4 is talking about those who are without God are completely darkened in understanding. They look at the world in a completely different way and don't understand it. People who are not in Christ are not able to discern what are the works of the evil one and what are the works of God because you're not in God. Understanding the scripture, understanding what is right, when you read the whole biblical narrative from beginning to end where you see what is morally upright, what it, what did God design and how did he design it to be good? When you start to see distortions of that, slight things that are taken out or slight things that are added to it in culture and society, it becomes so much easier. Like right off the bat, you can start to see, oh, that's not right. That's not how things are supposed to be because there are so many influences. We're inundated with with the internet and with messages and with media and books and music. And there's so many messages out there that you're just being completely overwhelmed. But when you know what is the measure tape, what is the one ruler that you should be using all the time to hold everything up against, it becomes so much easier to just toss out what is not of God. So what is from the devil? What are his servants doing? You can see their work in people's lives around you. You can start to understand the way that spiritual forces do animate evil that we see. Because we can just say this on a podcast. We can say spiritual forces animate evil and violence. But when you really look and you can see the news and you can see these terrible things happening and you can see this violence and this brokenness in the world around you, those things start to click a lot more when you can understand that there are There are enemies out there who hate humans because they hate everything that God has made. They especially hate us because we're made in the image of God. And so they want to destroy us. They hate everything that that is related to God. So just to keep in mind that it can be scary to think, wow, Satan and his angels might look like something that is good. But there is definitely a way to know the difference. You're not just like lost in the sea of like guessing yeah. half the time. God doesn't leave us to that. He's a God of clarity. He's not going to be the kind of, he's not the God who's like, figure it out on your own. Like, good luck. He's not that God. He's the God who gave you an entire book to help you understand the difference between himself and these evil ones that have rebelled against him. So yeah. I just want to encourage you with that. If that's kind of scary to you to hear that Satan may look like beautiful So that's a lot of things in society, a lot of messages that we see in culture that seem really beautiful and attractive. But I can clearly see 
I could call them all out now, but I'm just going to say there's a lot of things I can clearly see in culture, the messages that we receive about love, about sex, about relationships, about family, about everything that are not from God at all. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that's comforting, you were talking about like just knowing your Bible and knowing scripture and being able to hold things back up to it. Um, we do literally have passages of scripture that talk about this specifically. Um, in first John four, it talks about testing every spirit and it says, um, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world by this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um. So I think that passage puts it pretty yeah. plainly, like... A spirit that is from God is going to profess Jesus as the son of God, is going to profess Jesus as um, the Christ, you know, as God. And I think that's a perfect way to test it. You know, like if you're just really not sure, like what someone is saying to you, or you're just really not sure, like, you know, if you come across something or you find yourself in a situation, I hope not, but you find yourself in a situation where there is such strong spiritual warfare that you do come into contact with, you know, some type of demonic force and you're not sure, or, you know, something like that. This is how, you know, you know, you hold it up to God's word and you can know, like, if this is something that glorifies God, Um, or if this is like a person that glorifies God, or if this is, you know, what have you, then you can know that that is of God or from God or in Christ. If not, then there's your answer. Yeah. I really like how plainly that's put. It's very simple. It's, it's like, if you want some kind of rule of thumb to be able to apply to things that can really help you. And I wanted to emphasize, even this was reminding me a lot of the fact that for those who of us, those of us who are more mature Christians and have been in the church for a long time, there are messages you hear from Christians that are sometimes not true because, or from people who profess to be Christians at least, who that are not true. There are there is false teaching out there, and we've we've talked a little bit about false teaching, but just keeping in mind again that especially if you're a new Christian too, and you're kind of entering this world of there is so much Christian media out there. There's so many sermons and pastors and podcasters and like this endless list of media that you can consume. And it can be really scary too, to keep in mind, like, I want to be listening to the right things. I want to be filling my mind with the right things, but how can I know? How can I know? The scriptures themselves are telling you to test even what Christians are saying against the word of God, because we are still fallible, broken people. Yes, we're redeemed by God, but that doesn't mean that we'll always be perfect in everything you say. Even with this podcast, like go always to the scripture for yourself. Don't always take us for it. Go go to read the word of God for yourself. Yeah. Because that's the most important thing that you can do for yourself is not only holding up secular information up to the word of God, but also Christian media up to the word of God so that you're guarding your heart, guarding your mind, and that God is the one steering your brain. The spirit is the one guarding your heart and not other Christians or other humans who are fallen. So 
the rule of thumb is like we want God to be steering everything, no other spiritual being. We don't want angels or demons or anyone or anything to be directing that besides the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, the Trinity, to be the one that we are we are interacting with. Yeah. I will say just as like a final thought, I do just want to say I'm not trying to or like we're not trying to say that like every person who says something that might not be necessarily scriptural is like right yes demonic yes you know possessed like they're not that's not what we're saying we're not saying that um you know to over spiritualize it to the point of you know everything is like a spirit and that's not necessarily true because i have heard that used before where people are like oh this is the spirit of fill in the blank and that's not always true sometimes you know, it's just something that's happening in the world because this is a fallen, broken world. Or sometimes, you know, um, it has nothing to do with something spiritual. Sometimes, you know, it's a purely biological issue or what have you. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking. She probably sees another dog on a walk or something. But um, <laughs> but basically, just to say, like, we don't want to over-spiritualize it, just to say that, like, everything is a spirit. And so you have to test that. However, because we do live in a fallen world that does have some type of, um, you know, demonic oppression and demonic forces in it. And you constantly have those on the move trying to hinder believers from truly living in their purpose and glorifying God. There will be things that are undergirded by that. And there will be things that um, you come across that truly are a part of spiritual warfare in that way. So we just want you to be aware of that, but not to say like everything is, you know, spirit filled in that way. Yes. And I think that's also how Christians walk the line between grace and legalism. When we understand that pastors who are in Christ may just say things that are not accurate because they're fallen beings. But to test that again, bring it to the Bible. It doesn't mean you have to condemn and get rid of that person and say, like, I'm completely cutting them off. Or that doesn't mean you have to condemn that person or completely cut them off or that you have to be done away with them. But just a reminder, again, that God is the one that commands you, nobody else. So, you know, even with Christians, we might say things that are incorrect sometimes. That's that's how we are. Being a Christian does not make you perfect and completely perfect. God is in the constant process of making us more like his son, Christ. So just keeping that in mind, to not be too harsh on people, but also not to be too lenient. Like that's the line that we as Christians have to walk every single day. And we do that guided by the scriptures. So we wanted to conclude by just kind of discussing what are some of the common threads of spiritual beings. So including ourselves as created beings by God. First of all, we are all created by God. So angels, demons, and us ourselves, and also Lucifer himself, we're subservient to God. I've said this before. We've kind of said this throughout the episode, but keeping in mind, God is the one ruler at the end of the day. He's above all. Second of all, this is kind of a common thread that we as as beings, created beings, share. We are all engaged in the spiritual battle. We're locked into the spiritual battle that is constantly being waged between good and evil. Or God, the ruler who created everything, and all the created things that are trying to push up against that or trying to destroy. We're keeping in mind that we are as engaged in that battle as much as angels are, as much as demons are. We're a part of that. So we have to be vigilant. We have to be on our guard. We have to be aware of what's going on around us, not in such a way that we're overly obsessed and fascinated with it, but so that it marks our behavior and that it changes the way we as Christians live because we understand that there are spiritual influences out there. And as much as that's also like a complete topic on its own, talking about heaven and hell and those spiritual realms, just keeping in mind too, 
that there are eternal destinies for all God's created beings. Angels, demons, and humans alike, there are eternal destinies for all three of these different kinds of beings. However, unlike angels, demons, and this enemy, the Satan, humans have an opportunity that is specifically outlined in the Bible. We have the opportunity to be born again as completely new creations. This is what is different about us. Again, that we're made a Mago Day. This is what's different about God's relationship with us and the things that he's done to save us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This comes back again to that passage from 1 John 4 that you mentioned, that the indicator of a Christian is if they or a follower of God is that they believe in the Son of God, Jesus. He goes on to say, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there's that distinction between those who are in God and those who are not. It will be clear. There's ways that you can know it for sure. And just keeping in mind that all these spiritual beings are, are locked in this battle, trusting God and to know and praise him, praise him for how powerful he is, that he rules over all these beings that we don't understand, that he knows so much more than we do, that we ever dream to understand fully. So again, all this information should lead us to praise God and to worship him for how amazing and awesome he is. Absolutely. Well, that is about all that we have on this topic for today. I know that was a lot of information, um, but I hope that you guys learned something. I know I did while researching this for sure. Um, and be sure to listen to our last episode if you haven't already on spiritual warfare. Um, sorry, my dog is <laughs> just talking <laughs> or growling, I guess. So uh, yeah, disregard that. But <laughs> Uh, if you haven't followed us on Instagram, follow us on Instagram at Cedar and Cypress Pod, and we will see you next time.